Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Whoa, hold up. Hold up, everybody. Before we begin, I gotta say a couple things. Hey everyone, this is Connor Holloway from the Golden Hours Podcast, and listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you're entertained, or you learn something, dude, I ask you one thing, just share it with a friend. And listen, if you don't have friends, you shouldn't be listening to podcasts. You weren't supposed to talk, what the fuck? Goddamn, bro. (laughs) Hey, listen, note number two, before we announce everyone in the room. I have an event coming up, January 17th. Drew can't make it because he's busy being a comedian rock star. But it's called GDP Hustle. We're pulling together a bunch of Boston-based brands, startups, and companies here at GDP Studios. And listen, there's going to be a live pitch competition that's going to be streamed on the biggest YouTube channel in Boston. Which honestly, if you're just starting out, it's a couple thousand extra eyes on your business. Kind of worth it. Kind of worth it. It's only 50 bucks a table. Sometimes these networking events will run you up for like a, a grand a table. I want to make sure all the small brands and the big brands could come. And I'm not allowed to advertise this legally. So let's hope the popo doesn't find out. But once you get that table, you drink for free. Sponsored booze. Okay. And listen, before I announce my guest, we got two special guest producers in the room today. Happy holidays. The family's here. Bark, let's start with you. Hey, Connor. This is Matt. I'm excited to be here. Matt's my high school friend. You can call me Bark Daddy. Auntie Ellen's on the mic too, baby. <laughs> Auntie! You know why we call him Auntie? Because he look, looks like Auntie Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> for now. But. <laughs> you look like Jesse Pinkman tonight, bro. <laughs> and on my right, I have who I think is honestly... Not even a guess. Yep, huge man. I think you're probably one of the most talented dudes I've definitely had on the show, and I probably. Thanks, man. Thank you for coming. I got Drew Dunn back. Hey, we're here. Let's go. Back again, baby. Can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Uh, yeah, my name's Drew Dunn. I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, that's all I have. That's all I ever do. That's all I know. <laughs> that is not. That is not true. You do mad shit. That feels that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I do. I, I have a YouTube channel. You look up just Drew Dunn on YouTube. You'll find me. Um, Which, but it has like an eclectic mix of different types of content. Yeah, so I have some gaming content. I got some stand-up content, sketch, a little bit of animation. Basically, whatever I'm feeling like that week, and then I just make it rather than forcing myself to stick to one thing. You know. Well, I didn't know like until after the episode last time and when you had shown me your animations so drew actually does his own cartoons animates them himself writes the storyline and does all the voices for it that is insane like that is that it requires such a wide variety of talents yeah i love you dude thanks bro uh yeah and i mean i just taught my i didn't go to school for any of this i went to school for marketing which is like the one place i'm actually struggling with when it comes to the online space is like getting the word out about my you know what i'm making um, but yeah, all that stuff I just learned from other YouTube videos. If I wanted to learn something, I Googled it and just figured out how to do it and kept doing it. How long will one of those animations take you like start to finish? Uh, it depends because I mean, now I have a good amount of like characters drawn. So at least that legwork is out of the way. But if I wanted to like make like a two minute animation, two and a half minute animation from start to finish. And if I have a lot of the things already, it'll take me like, 
a good two weeks of working on it probably between drawing the backgrounds and the characters and changing their positions and actually doing the voice and lip syncing, animating it, all that crap. So wait, is it like an, you use like a draw pad? Is that how it works or is no, it a Photoshop? So I, I draw with like just a mouse and keyboard. So I use Adobe Illustrator. What's and up, I just, Paul Revere? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, for me, it's ways I've been using a mouse and keyboard my whole life rather than like, like I'm not a very good drawer. Like a lot of times I'll just sketch like a general look of a character and then I'll just recreate that on on the uh, on the screen but yeah a lot of it's just i mean you just start drawing with shapes so i just use like the pen tool and start sketching out then you just start resizing stuff and and go from there yeah but like i said now like if i draw a new character i have enough characters drawn that i'll just take a made character and then just start rearranging things recoloring reshaping and that makes it easier to keep like keep things moving we talked about this kind of on the phone but is that how like south park and family guy are able to pump out episodes because they have so many preset images yeah a lot of it and they have some of the most talented animators working for them that are just used to just whipping things out back and forth um but yeah i mean you have so many things done i mean they've drawn peter griffin every way that they could possibly have him animated so now they just plug it in and then just move it around basically well no it's like really interesting with family guys when they somehow enter like a new realm of type of animation where it's like yeah. it's not like their traditional standard look. You know yeah, they'll cut to like the 3D or something yeah. like that where everything's like all morphier. Okay. Like there's like a bit where he's in like a Mario game or something. Right, right, right. It's interesting how that affects your psyche. You guys know what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. And like uh, the most recent South Parks I've been watching, they'll cut to like this like family. Like it's like a K Jewelers commercial. It'll be like 3D people. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. That's. Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Is that is that what you guys are talking about? Yeah, no, exactly. And there's sometimes in Family Guy episodes they'll cut to like a commercial of something random, even yeah, which is really exactly. interesting curveball. Or they'll do like musical stuff in Family Guy too. They'll just cut to like people singing and dancing, or like an old music video, and then they'll come <laughs> back to it. And if you don't get the reference to what they're doing, you're like, "What the fuck is this? Like, why did we just cut to Bruce Springsteen singing a song, and now we're back to Stewie yelling at somebody?" It's dead um, ass. Yeah, he uh. But I know I had learned this after I had kind of started absorbing some of Family Guy's content. But like that dude, Seth MacFarlane, kind of like reminds me of like your range of talents, bro. The fact that he's able to do like pretty much everything artistically. And I kind of feel like you're the same way. Well, that's how Family Guy got its start was he just animated the pilot. It was pretty crude because obviously to get access even to the technology I'm using now back then was like, I mean, it's next he's level. RISD, right? Uh, I don't remember, um, but all, I mean, all I know is he ma- he did it while he was in college. So he he made this little animation and then just went and pitched it to these networks. And back then, everybody was hungry for animation. There wasn't a lot, so they snatched it up. And then once is that coming through, dude? Yeah, ri- ripping it over there. In the <laughs> is there a buzzsaw? In- <laughs> that, I believe there's a buzzsaw. Hey, a buzzsaw, yeah. one sec. That's all me as a producer. You guys want to talk? I can, I can, I can talk amongst ourselves. Hey, good thing we're in a soundproof booth, uh, top of the line. Hey, where are we, everybody? We're in Somerville in a warehouse in the back of an art gallery. Golden Hours podcast. Uh, you know, a hole in the roof behind Drew right now. Talking comedy and animation. I don't know what this is behind me. I don't know if you guys can see this on the cameras, but there's this is some real modern art. They can see just that red line, just kind of like that okay. bottom corner of that painting. Well, that's most of the painting. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then it just kind of turns into uh, small and different size uh, colored blots of ink. So, I mean, what what do you interpret from the, something like this? I Art, think it's Morse code, but yeah. like, someone was like running from somebody. <laughs> 
So sorry about the brief intermission there, but there was actually nobody in here, so I did not know how that noise was triggered. Oh. <laughs> that was interesting. Well, interesting. Uh, thanks for bringing me to your new haunted studio. Happy to. <laughs> Absolutely. No, Will Noonan called it because all we had was like a a curtain here. He yeah. was like, "Yeah, I'm in the back of an ISIS interrogation." <laughs> it kind of feels like that. <laughs> like if you told me someone was beheaded in this little area, I'd be like, "Yeah, probably." Yeah, I totally. Well, I sometimes think that people sleep right above this thing. Yeah, no insulation either. They're hearing everything we're saying. I know. Are you freezing right now? A, a little. I, I can feel my fingers. Normally, you can't yeah. feel your fingers, yeah. you know, like just as you're walking around. Right now, I feel them. Yeah. But, but you're from New Hampshire. You're supposed to be in touch with your life. I live like 35 miles from <laughs> you, bro. It's not like I live in the woods. <laughs> it's a different world up there. Yeah, it's totally different. It's more, we got, you know, icebergs and shit. It's crazy. Carter doesn't leave the downtown, just Somerville, Boston. Yeah. You know, he's just love like the metropolis and the chaos. Yeah. Craziness. Union Square, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Metro Center. Hey, uh, how far are you from UNH? That's where Carl went. Uh, Probably like an hour, hour and 15 minute drive. Yeah. We kind of talked about this in the last episode, but is there any sort of like comedic center in New Hampshire? Is there any sort of circuit you can uh, run? Not not really a circuit. But I mean, Manchester has a couple of clubs. Like there's a club that does it like Fridays and Saturday nights. Then there's Wednesday night at the Shashkeen Pub, which is a dope show. Um, and you do these regularly? I do those. I do those pretty regularly. Like the headliners one, I could probably do a guest spot at if I had a Saturday off. Um, but if not, I'm booked on it. You know, once every few months. Then Shashkeen, same thing. They do like three or four comics doing a short set and then a feature headliner. So if I'm not featuring or headlining, I can just pop in and do a set if they have some time and everything. Um, then there's some other things that pop up, some craft brewery shows, do shows and a lot of little small theaters. But the thing is with New Hampshire is they're all booked by like five different people. So in order for you to really work all of the different things New Hampshire has, you have to get in with all of these different people and then, you know, kind of pick it apart from there. And how does that differ in Boston and booking shows? Well, Boston, I mean, there's really, there's one company that runs most of the major clubs is that, and that's John Tobin Presents. So they are in charge of Nick's Comedy Stop, Laugh Boston, the comedy scene, Capo, which is where I'm going to be tonight. I'm going to head over there after this. Um, Let's go. And then a bunch of other, you know, a bunch of other spots. And then there are some other clubs like that, but I mean, it's, they're all pretty similar as far as where it goes. I think in Boston and Massachusetts in general, there's just a higher volume of shows to do. There's more comics. So there's more comics producing shows at bars and restaurants and shit. What would be like the most coveted show for you to get in the city? Like, it's like, oh my God, like dope. I got that tonight. Um, I mean, if I was opening for somebody at the Wilbur Theater, that would probably be dope. That's one of the few things I haven't done in the city yet. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, a lot of that, too, is uh, just meeting somebody who headlines the Wilbur Theater and, you know, becoming friends with them. And then that, that's how most people do it, uh, unless they're not bringing their own opener, in which case they go through the whole booker and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that would that would probably be the one opening for somebody who I really enjoy their comedy uh, at either the Wilbur Theater or, if not, Laugh Boston to work with them there. That's probably the spot. Do any of those bigger, like, theatrical venues also host com comedy, like the Wang Theater or the Boston Conservatory? They will if it's a big enough act. So, like, the Wang Theater, I saw Louis C.K. perform at the Wang Theater before, you know, the whole he's the whole thing right? went to, He's He's back. He's climbing his way back. He's, yeah, he, he'll be back fully, I think, soon enough. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, they'll do it if there's a draw. Like, they'll they'll do whatever, whatever theater size they want to do. Um, yeah, so I saw him at the Wang, which is, like, 5,000 seats or something like that, 6,000 seats, which yeah. is like crazy. It's crazy. Because like, you see the Wilbur, you're like, wow, this is a really nice big theater. Then you look at the Wang, you're like, oh shit, this is a fucking theater. Like, this I, saw th I saw Theo Vaughn at the Wilbur. Oh, yeah? How was that? It was great. He's yeah. hilarious, dude. Yeah, he's, a, he's a riot. Dude. I also, when, when I went out to LA, I remember I was like, yo, bro, you know anyone in LA? We, uh, 
we went to the comedy store and we saw Chris D'Elia. Oh yeah. That's it. It was a much smaller room than I anticipated. For sure. Yeah. The original room is, is pretty small. I was, I missed you by like a couple weeks cause I was out there a little bit before. Um, and I performed in the original room for the first time, which was dope. Oh, you were in the, in uh, the comedy store. Yeah. Yeah. So I performed in the belly room a couple times and I did one show in the original oh. room and dude, I was like walking through that back hallway, like this back hallway that you use to get to the belly room. And I'm walking up to my show at the belly room. And it's Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, Chris Lee on one wall, Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer on the other wall. And I just like look up, you know, like as I'm walking the thing, but oh shit. And then just like try not to fucking shit my pants as I'm walking oh to the show. God. And then just, yeah, keep walking. What, how did the show go? Good. It was good. Yeah. I mean, the belly room, I was just, uh, it was roast battle. So I, they have comics do just sets before roast battle starts. So I just did like, you know, seven minutes on that show or something like that. And then the OR is uh, family and friends. So I worked with somebody named Vicky Barbalak over at Laugh Boston uh, and she hooked me up with a uh, spot on family and friends, which basically they do the open mic every night that starts at like six. And then that changes over to family and friends, which, which is, is people like associated. Yeah. It's like the people that work the door, people that the paid regulars recommend things like that. And then the actual show starts at eight o'clock and then that goes into like two or some shit. And so after you was the Rogan and Bill Burr show. So no, that was in the main room. So oh, yeah. those guys probably did spots on the original room show as well, but it was Joe Rogan and friends was the show in the main room. So it was Rogan, Burr, Kreischer, like all those guys. Yeah. See, what was interesting when I was out there is you learned about this like little, this comedy community in LA. There's like, there's always like seven comedians who are like killing it and it just like cycles and always changes. Has it always been like that? I think so. I think that there's, uh, you kind of have your Kings of comedy at the time and then, but it constantly, it's constantly changing, right? It is changing. And I think right now it kind of belongs to those guys I was talking about. Those are kind of like the big name guys that you see right now that are, but then there's like Dave Chappelle up here, right? Yeah. And I, well, I think he's more of a New York guy rather than an LA guy. I mean, obviously he's, James Chappelle goes wherever the fuck he wants, but I think he's he's more his circle was kind of formed in New York City first rather than than L.A. If that makes sense. So, but the, has it always been that way in comedy? Like, there's always like seven dudes who are like running this circuit who are like the the guys. Yeah, I think so. I don't even know if it's always seven. So, I mean, back in the day, it was like you know you'd see guys like Sam Kinison, Andrew Dice Clay were like the guys at the comedy store, and they were the kings of comedy at the time, and they were doing every special. They were they were the guys. Um, I think what you don't have now that you had back then is like back then those guys would fucking die and you'd have that new regime take over that way, right? They'd fucking overdose or they would be, it was much easier to become irrelevant back then because you didn't have things like the internet to keep pumping yourself back up. So they'd either fall off or themselves die and then new regimes would take over. I'm not sure how this is going to go, especially now people are starting to live forever. Joe Rogan might live forever now. And then all of a sudden he's the king of, yeah, he's the king of podcasting for the rest of time. Like how do you compete with that? (laughs) <laughs> is there a fall off then who knows you know <laughs> but, but what's interesting what i've also noticed is like the the magnitude of some of these dudes podcasts will totally amplify their career too yeah have is that why you've kind of taken a stance like this past year to t- start like going heavy on content well yeah i mean i i've that's half the reason i quit my day job when i did a few years back was because i knew that you have to have content making your own content is the future it's it's how you stay relevant it's how you sell tickets it's how you do anything these days i mean for me the value of like getting on tv or getting on even like somebody else's youtube channel which is essentially what you're doing when you get on tv if i go get a spot on conan the real value doesn't come from people watching it live on conan on tbs at 10 o'clock at night it comes from you know the however million views or hundreds of thousands of views that come on the youtube channel after the fact so all of that 
is essentially has no value if I'm not creating a product myself. You know what I mean? If I'm not giving people more things to stay engaged with, they may enjoy my set and share it, but that doesn't mean that they'll remember me in six months when I finally come to their city and and have the ability to sell tickets to them. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of have something where people discover you, they they stay focused on you, and then you kind of just keep peppering them with content. You create a community of people that you care about and that care about you. And I think having that mutual back and forth is what really makes a lot of these guys super successful. Well, you also, your content, you were one of the first people I saw who like used Twitch to your benefit. Can you kind of elaborate on that and how you did it? Yeah, I mean, Twitch was, I mean, I always wanted to try and stream because I've always just been a gamer my whole life. And I was like, COD guy. Yeah, I mean, Call of Duty, I'd play like single player and adventure games. I played like DayZ back in the day, which is like a, like a zombie survival type game. What, what console? Um, I played, I played Xbox a lot when I was growing up and then it's been PC for a while. Just been playing oh, on the computer. Oh yeah, I got it. Well, I have to, cause it's like, everything's on there. And if I have a really good PC that I got for editing and video oh, and all that stream. stuff and, and yeah, to stream it's, you have to have a PC anyway. So I was like, I may as well just do it, do it like this. What were you playing in eighth grade? Uh, I was probably playing call of duty. Yeah. On Xbox. What was it like call of duty five? Call of duty four. Yeah. What was that? World at war? No, that was, was big Call modern, of Duty. modern Warfare modern was Call of Duty 4. That's that. He was in eighth grade. When I we think so. Grade, no, no. He's a couple of years older than this. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense because that would, that would have been like four years after yeah. or something that came out. Did you ever play Skyrim? Yeah. Yeah. Skyrim. I played that a lot. Yeah. Connor, Connor kind of lost his mind with Skyrim for a year. You better watch him. It happens. <laughs> it happens. You drift away. You come back. Yeah. Get, get locked in. <laughs> now you're still there. You're still yeah, out there yeah. fighting dragons and shit. I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story. So I was playing when I was 16 and I, you know, I'm known to be kind of obsessive about things. Sure. And so I, I logged in like a, a cool, like 400 hours. Beautiful. In, rookie in, numbers, by the yeah, way. In three weeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, a girl had just played me like shorty had just played me and I was like, all right, I just got to focus on something productive. Why not, why not just become Dragonborn in Skyrim? <laughs> so I logged like 400 hours, and then it was at the end of my Skyrim days when I, like the end of that couple weeks where I smoked weed and got high for the first time. Oh boy. And so I got, the first time I got high, I had just given blood at the blood drive. So I, I got zooted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go to a planet exactly my dude, dude like you can get fucked up just giving blood like let, let alone i did i fainted that day and i was like yeah i gotta get high to alleviate this you know what i'm saying so listen i smoked that booth pack right i'm like oh no i don't feel it whatever i come back inside i am not joking the individuals i was smoking with like actually had elf ears and i was like yo what the fuck am i in skyrim right now you know what i'm saying so then i turn on the video game because we're in my basement and I turn Skyrim on, and I'm not kidding. Everyone's going to be like, dude, you're full of shit. I actually saw myself holding the the axe, walking around the Skyrim map. Wow. That's, yeah, that's it's marijuana. First time. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that'll do it. <laughs> great first time, dude. It's traumatized, bro. Have you, have you, know, you know they have that in virtual reality now in VR? You can play Skyrim in VR. You put the headset on. So you could actually be walking around and lose your fucking mind in Skyrim. Oh, That's oh. a whole other level. Oh, so you, oh, so you could like just go slice dragons' heads off in real life? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you smoke a little weed and go into virtual reality. Sometimes I do it and just go into like Google Earth in VR and just walk around and pretend everyone's happy to see me. <laughs> you know, because they're all like, hey! They're all like, look at him. 
I'm like, hey, what's going on? No big deal. Just walking down the streets of Mumbai. No problem. <laughs> oh, can you choose where you go on the map? Oh, you can go anywhere in the world, dude. You can, like, fly around it and stuff. You can just land in, like, the middle of Hawaii, and you're just in virtual reality. Like, it feels like you're actually there. It's crazy. You get sensations. You do. Well, and you can, like, like if you fly up, you'll actually start to, like, lose your stomach like you're on a roller coaster. It, <laughs> oh, fuck, it fucks you, you up, dude. You get that feeling? Yeah, you get that, like, holy shit, I'm above a mountain. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I summited Everest last night. No big deal. Just oh, went right up. There. What are you doing tomorrow? Kilimanjaro? Yeah, I'll probably do Kilimanjaro. You know, maybe go walk along the Wall of China, the whole thing. No that, that's how people are going to get their exercise now, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're going to just put on the VR mask. Yeah, it worked out today. <laughs> wouldn't you though if you could throw the vr headset on then walk on a treadmill wouldn't you want to at least pretend like you're running on top of the wall of china or like like pretend like you're running like from a bunch of like native americans you know and just keep looking back like that'll keep you if, motivated if you put on a vr mask i hope the last thing you want to do is walk on a treadmill yeah that's true but then again i don't know i think honestly i think the future of gaming if vr takes over the way i think it's going to take over gamers will probably be some of the more fit people like they will have a reason to go to the gym and get fit you know what i mean like those people that are truly dedicated to being good at vr will be at the gym every single morning getting in shape so they can fuck people up and call of duty 48 uh, vr you know what i mean well do the professional gamers now like the real bosses do they have just like massive forearms and like totally deezed up fingers there are some guys that are like jacked but i mean a lot of them are very in shape don't get me wrong you have your fair share of fatties like any occupation but a lot of them are, are pretty like nimble or super skinny have mad vascular fingers yeah I mean, biceps I on their fingers i don't think you <laughs> get jacked to click the mouse you'd probably break a lot of mice no but that. i've seen people like <laughs> oh yeah people get nuts dude they uh People are, I mean, especially at the highest level, dude, like to watch some of the way these guys play. Because I don't even think you can appreciate like a competitive, like a high-end competitive gamer unless you've tried to play the game they're playing. Because like I, like I would, my, my buddies were obsessed with like Counter-Strike, for example, which is just your basic like plant the bomb, 5v5 shooter diffuser kind of thing. Um, and I was like, this looks stupid. Like when I'm watching the pressure, I was like, yeah, they're shooting the guys in the face. This is super easy. Then you try and play the game and you realize how bad you are and how hard it actually is to do what they're doing. You're like, okay, I, I get it now. And I think that's going to be honestly like one of the biggest hurdles that these esports have. Like that's probably why a lot of regular sports are so popular is because like I played baseball my whole life. So I want to watch it at the highest level. Or I, I played hockey you when I was a little it. kid. I, I can appreciate it. So like how are these esports going to get people that never played that specific game to like care about it? You know what I mean? Yeah, and how are they going to get rid of the stigma like, oh my god, you're just a nerd, there's no strategy involved, there's no skill involved? Well, I think that though the people that feel that way about gaming aren't going to be their audience anyway, right? Those people aren't, aren't you're not going to try and convince those people to follow professional gaming. Those people are going to follow whatever they're going to follow. The trick is to get the people who watch gaming to watch your specific game. You know how they could do it is they could start opening a betting on it because there will be a, a crossover between oh, people who want a sports sure. bet and then bet on gaming. Yeah, that would actually be good. You do like a fan duel, but for like League of Legends or some shit. That'd be that'd fresh. Be sick. That would be Send like Fortnite, like bet on a Fortnite. Yeah. Dude, yeah. How, many, how many times have you been in a Fortnite situation with like, I'm sure you guys, it was popular when you guys were at school when like everyone was crowded around when the game was about to end. Sweet. Yeah, a lot of the time I'm still playing Fortnite, but these kids just throw money to the the best players in the world. Like they just volunteer their money away. Yeah, and that's how Ninja makes all so his what, bucks. What right? if they could at least make their money back? What if they could put that money on the line and then make, make it back and yeah, win some. I like what you're. Now playing. they're gonna be a bunch of gamers dead. 
Yeah. Money we'll have the same thing we had in every sport. There'll be people like throwing games, you know? Just decapitated gamers. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to start? Do you guys want to do it now? You guys want to start the gaming mob now? And like right here? We could start it in Boston. That'd be fun. Yeah, we'll start the the Winter Hill gang all over again, but only online. They'll never catch us. Yeah, <laughs> we won't leave a fingerprint. back one of the gamers. Like we got to choose our Yeah. Our well, we, but we can't do it on public. We'll have to back somebody publicly that's not our main guy. And then we'll back somebody else privately, and that's the guy we're actually pushing forward. I think you're our guy. Yeah. <laughs> what about doping in the gaming industry? Because I'm sure these dudes are popping out are all like nutso, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wonder. No, that's like a real thing. That is a real thing. I mean, I've, I've never taken Adderall just because, uh, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel, I, I'm hyper enough. Don't, don't do it. Dude. I don't really Just need don't to. Do it. And I know I know how addictive it can be because I had a buddy who's had it since he was like fucking eight years old pretty much. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, that could be a real issue. It's like, I, Well, bro, I used to be totally hooked. Oh, yeah. Barker, I mean, Barker used to have a prescri- prescription yeah, too. Everyone gets it when they're eight if you get one. Yeah, all you got to do is like not do one homework assignment. And you'll get a little bit of Adderall when you're, when you're fucking 12 years no, old. Go up to your teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, kid. They just start stabbing kids with needles <laughs> these days. They don't give a oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. They tried they try to inject me when I was young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they tried to sedate me. I just ripped the IV out of my arms. <laughs> Go. <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you how I threw. Did I ever tell you guys how I, I threw my ADHD test? You threw your ADHD test? Well, so the way they test your ADHD, and mind you, at the time, I wanted to prove to my teachers that I had ADHD, so they would give me some sort of testing accommodation. Right. And so the test is a screen popping up. And they're like, okay, every time a letter pops up, just press X on a keyboard. Every time you see X, press X. And so I'm like, why don't I just like keep pressing X over and over and over and over and over and over if I want to like make sure they know I'm like totally sped out. Yeah, yeah. And so I did. And then the lady brings the results back and she's like, these are like the worst numbers we've ever seen. I was like, yeah, you got to dope me up, fam. What's up, dog? Wow. Gonna hook yeah. it up, brother. <laughs> You're really ahead of your time with the slang, too. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Calling people fam in 98. Yeah, dead ass. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Hey, so uh, before our last episode, you, I mean, after our last episode, you were on the way to Just for Laughs. Can you kind of explain what that was and what it means to your career? Yeah. So uh, Just for Laughs is basically the biggest, most prestigious comedy festival on the planet. Um, every every major star in comedy has if they weren't if they didn't do the showcase that i did which was new faces of comedy they were they've done a show at just for laughs at some point it's like the south by southwest just comedy exactly yeah uh, and it's in montreal they do it every year um and yeah i was I, I couldn't announce it last time i was here but i was on my way there like the following day and i basically i got to do a showcase in a sold out it's like a 800 seat theater in front of every bit of industry you could possibly imagine i mean every tv station all the different networks like all these different people you know comedy club bookers everything uh, and i just go do six minutes of material that i've been you know running for like the last year and a half just trying to get it as tight as possible because as a comic you always want to have that showcase set ready you never know when you're gonna you're gonna need it um, and i was coming off seattle uh, competition of a year before and then getting ready for a NACA. so i had that time like tight i was ready to go i'd done it in theaters before i knew exactly what to expect was the Attenborough bit um no no that wasn't in it so this one i did i did a bit where i start off just at pretending to be like fifa announcers just oh, yeah, 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 so yeah. i do that uh, i do a bit about being a millennial i do a bit about um being from a big family living, i living with your your 
with my in-laws and all that. And then I do the robot voice like this. Okay, good. I do the bit where I do that, and I do a bit about how America's the number one country in the world. You know what I'm saying, baby? It's fucking... Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and, and so did you rock it out the park? Uh, yeah, dude. I got like six applause breaks in six minutes. I mean, I had like the exact set I needed to there. Um, and then uh, from there on out, after I mean, we did one more show the next day, but that, that the big one was the one before. Um, and then from there, it was just networking it was going to all these after parties talking with people getting getting cards trying to get a manager or an agent was really what i what i was there for right i'm trying to get representation yeah because those that leads to other opportunities in and of itself as far as tv and all of those things no no tv booker is really going to take you seriously if you're not represented in one way or another very 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 few people go the independent route in comedy it's not quite like music where you can get away with just being self-produced and getting your shit out there it's 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 different makes Uh, sense there's just way more people involved yeah and i mean there's just like music your shit can just get popular that can happen online too but that doesn't mean that it's going to get on the desk of somebody who's you know booking conan for example or, or fallon or whatever um so yeah, I mean, I went in, I, I did my shit, I got a manager, I'm working, I, I'm now just taking a bunch of meetings with agencies, so I haven't made a decision on which way I'm going yet, but... Um, like big talent agencies. Yeah, yeah, like CAA, uh, UTA, Let's go. Um, Abrams Artist, Let's shit go. like that, so um, just trying to uh, kind of sort things out, and a lot of these guys don't really care until I move out of New England, that's a big thing for them, because most of their opportunities come New in York pretty LA, quick. Right. Yeah. So like if they want me to do like a commercial audition and they, I need to be in New York city at noon, they're not going to bother sending that to me when I'm living in new England. Cause I won't be able to make it there in time, you know? So do you ever, I mean, you've been developing your career for now, like what, five, six years. Yeah. It'll be six years in January since I started. So one, do you ever think of like, maybe I should just like totally build up the Drew Dunn brand and not rely on other people to do this? For sure. Um, And that's been my approach from the get go is like, let me put myself first, especially since there isn't a lot of, you know, industry in Boston. Uh, There's no agencies really. There's no managers. Like all that stuff is in New York or LA and, you know, maybe Chicago. There's a few, but um, most of those opportunities are in those two cities. So for me, I was like, I, I never planned. I, I had planned back and forth to like, oh, I'm going to go to New York after I won the Boston Comedy Festival in 2017. I was like, maybe I should go now. Now I have a legitimate credit. I can at least get booked on some shows and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I held off. And if and thank God I did, because if I didn't hold off, I never would have been in the position as far as like the scene goes to be the guy that gets the audition for Just for Laughs. I would have been grinding for another three years in New York just to maybe have a chance at auditioning for that thing. You know? Oh, so you're saying it totally helped you to be like the Boston guy. Yeah, to be like, a, I mean, not to sound like a dick, but like a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Like I, I was one of the few guys with credits that hadn't left and jumped ship to another city. So I was in a position where I'm in with the bookers that are booking the showcase. So when the guy that books Just for Laughs comes to – John Tobin, for example, the guy that runs all those rooms that John Tobin presents and says, hey, I want to put together a showcase for Boston. Who are some of your guys? I'm at least on that list. It makes sense, too, from the Just for Last perspective, because if they're trying to sell tickets, it's like, yeah, we got the big guy from Boston, then we got the big guy from Oregon, then we got the big guy from Texas. Right. Well, they don't need really need to worry about selling tickets because that thing's going to sell out every year yeah. anyway. It's just, a, it's just a massive festival. And plus, a lot of people, like, you buy a, a day pass, and you can go see you know, my show at seven o'clock and then you can go see like, uh, like Kevin Hart show at, at nine o'clock or some shit. Exactly. I, I mean, it's like, it's a more compelling sell. If it's like, instead of having five guys from New York, you got 
five guys from different cities yeah well and that's oh, see i did the unrepped showcase so my all, everybody on my showcase had no management and no agency oh, that's fire they offer that um and then there was another one that's new faces rep so those people all have managers and and uh, agents or one one or the other they're represented in some way and in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people that i talked to at the festival like my show that i was on overall was just higher quality from start to finish and just from what i watched of the other shows like a lot of the shows, like there were some really, really good comics on those shows, but the number of people that I was like, I don't really, I don't get this. And maybe it's just not for me or that were just like kind of weak or that were there for reasons other than being funny. Um, I was just like, man, this is really lame. And that was for the rep showcase because they're just pulling them from New York or LA. That's the only places these people are rep. So like the variety of comics that you get is like on paper, it looks good. You're like, oh, we got an Asian woman and a black guy and a gay white guy. And like all of you are checking all those boxes. But so many of these people are writing their jokes in the exact same scene. So they're under the same like percolation. So you end up getting a lot of the same flavors of different people. So the material might be different, but the vibe is the same or the energy of the jokes is the same. So, um, yeah, and that was kind of the difference. And that was, I was really cool to be able to see it firsthand of like, okay, wow, getting people from actually around different parts of the country is so beneficial. You truly get different styles of comedy and and just way more it's just way more funny when you're picking the cream of the crop from each scene rather than whoever's best this year out of new york or la you're just going to get a higher quality show from start to finish when it's like 12 or 15, you know 12 to 15 guys whatever it was i forget yeah and you bringing that up too is like and you never think of especially with like a, a boxing match like having an opener is like a big having someone on your undercard is not that big of a deal right, right. but like and i'm sure in a card like this where everyone's trying to prove themselves it actually helps you if the other performers also have good sets. For sure. Because well, it's all based on the crowd, right? That and your position in the lineup. I got super lucky in my position because it's a roll of the dice. It's all random. So I I went up fourth out of, I think it was 15 or 16. I forget how exactly how many comics were on my showcase. But fourth is huge because Pete Holmes was the host of the show, which you know Pete Holmes is from Crashing. Um, so he hosted and then three other comics went up, set the tone great. They got the crowd into like, they're they're really fucking laughing now. And then I go out there with the set that I've been, I knew exactly how it was going to go and it, and it just smashed and it was exactly like perfect. But then to like go 16th is going to be a much different energy for whoever's on stage because be it, tired. that, and they've already seen all this comedy. So let's say I do a bit about Alexa, for example, act number four, we killed it too. We killed it on yeah, that. Was, let's yeah. go. <laughs> and guy number six has a joke about Alexa too. He might not get as big of a pop because that topic in general, even if the jokes are totally different has already been touched on. So, so you hit it right in the sweet spot. I, yeah, I feel like I got super lucky and, and fortunate with that, which is good. Cause I've been so unfortunate in other places in comedy with that where like I'm doing competitions going up and taking the first spot or like going dead last and shit like that. So it was nice to, to get lucky on the one that, that really counted. So you're six years deep in your career now. Yeah. When you had started, was this, are you in the position where you always kind of wanted to be now? You're like, dude, I would love to get to just for laughs and like slay that festival and get an agent. This was always like kind of your idea. Yeah, this was the plan. I mean, and honestly, this is kind of the one path that industry can really notice is to do festivals. And this just for laughs isn't the only one that you can get industry attention at. Like Corey Rodriguez, for example, another great comic, uh, did the, um, he did this festival out in Montana and they have uh, big sky, the big sky comedy festival. And they have industry come there. He ended up getting an agent from that. Cause he went out there and won that festival and then got it from there. But that's kind of the way out of the smaller scenes in Boston being just one example of that is to be great rise to the top of your quote like class of comedy 
and go out there, apply to festivals, get the festivals, and then just be great elsewhere. Be great as many places as you can, and people will notice. Yeah, that's actually what artists do here, too. I mean, yeah. everyone, a lot of artists I'm familiar with who have been successful, they'll they'll do all the venues around here. You know, they, they might get lucky to throw a fat show at Paradise Rock Club. Yeah. But as soon as they go to South by Southwest or get a big show in New York or something, that's kind of when they get validation in the scene. Is it for sure. The same way here, too? It's like, yeah. yo, Drew just killed Just for Laughs. Now he's kind of the, even more the guy here. Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, I've I've felt that to a point. I mean... I was kind of already the guy to a point after doing Boston and Seattle. This guy's an egomaniac. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm all <laughs> over the place. But, I mean, to just be real with it, like, I'd already won Boston and Seattle. So I already had a reputation in the Boston comedy scene of Drew Dunn's really funny. And, you know, he can – I was already doing all these shows. But there's definitely a new vibe now after Just for Laughs. People are – it's just different conversations that people want to have with you, you know. It's interesting, too, what I learned from you in the last episode is how important reputation is, especially when rising your stock as a comedian. It's yeah. like one of the most important things. Sometimes it's not even about the validity of your jokes. If like your brand is popping, then you're going to pick up some business. You still need to be funny no matter what, um, but that's part of your brand, especially in comedy, is being good every time you step on stage and having people want to watch you. But yeah, I mean, if you're a dickhead to everybody in the comedy scene or if you act like you're fucking better than everybody, you're not going to get respected. And most, and like I said before, a lot of the opportunities are made by comedians. These shows are started and run by and booked all by comics. So if comics think you're a dick, you're not going to get half of the shows that are going to make you better or half the shows that pay you money in order to keep it, keep the whole train rolling. Okay. So back on my like manifestation questions, you, uh, so I'm saying like six years ago, you're now like your career is like moving, bro. Like you're catching yeah. Is this like, yo, in five years when you started, like, this is where I'd like to be. Did you like visualize this kind of, I mean, I never really had a time plan. I knew things I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do just for laughs because I knew that was like kind of opening the gates you, to the next that's level. That. Um, and honestly, I mean, once I saw what the Boston comedy festival was, I was like, I'm going to get into that. I never knew if I wanted to win it. I didn't know if I was good enough, but, um, once that kind of starts rolling, I mean, I, I just like, I like to think I can talk my things into reality. If I, if I keep saying it enough and I say, I'm going to do it, and I put my mind to it and I work fucking hard at it, then I can make those things happen. And so far, so good. That shit is <laughs> real though, dude. I mean, it is. And it is. It's I mean, fucking the, crazy, there's, bro. There's I swear a lot to God. Of, there's a lot of factors though. I mean, there's, I got lucky a lot, right? Like I, I got lucky. But that happens when you, when you just kind of, I feel, and I, I shouldn't talk like I'm like the most successful dude of all time. I'm not. We're in the back of this fucking warehouse, right? <laughs> yeah. But in the winds I've caught, dude, it, it's really like your thoughts just totally, if you just keep your tunnel focused. Yeah. It's weird how it compounds, isn't it? For sure, yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of always the mindset I started. Because I, I got off. when I, Even when I first started, when I was six months in, I was off to a hot start compared to most people that were starting comedy. I, I won a comedy competition like six months into comedy in my town and then won another one a year and a half. But you in. always knew you were funny, though, too. Yeah, but for me, it's like I didn't let those things become – let me get complacent in my thing. Like I could have won the Boston comedy festival and be like, that's it. And, and some guys do that. Some guys are really, really good comics. They yeah. win the Boston comedy festival and then they, they stop working hard at it. They stay, keep working at it, but they stop working really hard at it. Um, so for me to kind of always set the bar higher, cause I knew I got off to a hot start. I was like, I want to keep whatever this gap is that I'm in right now of course, between the people that started at the same time as me. I just want to keep rocking that and keep, keep that gap and not let those people catch up. That's kind of always been my mindset. See, what's interesting is from a surface level, like, People would see a dude like you, and they'd just be like, yo, this dude's like just an average dude. But like, you're like competitive and like disciplined, bro. It's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, like we were talking discipline a little bit. We were walking out back. But it, yeah, I mean, uh, 
I'm competitive just because I played sports my whole life, and I'm I'm one of you know seven kids, five brothers, really growing up. So we were always competitive with each other. We were always, you know, your family Christian? Uh, no, no, not really. That's that's a New common Ham- question. It's just um, New Hampshire, man. We were actually in Seattle when a lot of the kids were made. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I know where my parents fuck. Everyone should know. <laughs> you could trace it back. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the date, the time, everything. Uh, <laughs> They were at the Ramada Inn. Yeah. No, they were never out of the house. <laughs> Anytime my parents let's, let's build me, a commune. Yeah, they're like, go out in the yard and play for a little bit. Now we know. Now we know why we had to go out in the yard and play wiffle ball for six hours. <laughs> six hours. Well, cool. he didn't. I mean, I'm sure he didn't. Did they need have it. twins? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't have to fuck twice for twins, right? <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of where the competitive thing came from. I mean, especially like playing sports in college, you kind of tap into that like maniac fucking screaming on the sideline uh, competitiveness. And then um, people don't picture that with comedy, though. You know what I'm saying? Because like, but your competition is being the funniest. Man. Well, I mean, it's not always a competition against me and everybody else on the show, even though if you have that in a healthy way, it can make you better. If you always want to be the funniest person on the show, that's great without taking away from anybody else. I don't want anyone else to be less funny. I just want to be better than everybody also. I want everybody to be their best and have me be at my best be elevated that's that's always been what to work for even if it's not true every night and it's probably not gonna be true tonight i'm gonna go on stage and riff around for like six minutes tonight i might not be the funniest one on the show but i want to be and i'm gonna strive to be i'm gonna put my effort in to do that um and then with is like, there is there like inner workings with inner competition within like the big boston comedians not really competition i mean it's a pretty friendly scene when you get so to, you're all kind when, of boys when right? you get to know everybody yeah and i think that that's kind of the old way of doing stand-up like back in the 80s and shit like that like people comics really hated each other was super competitive and i think that's because um there was very few spots that people Less were fighting opportunity, for right yeah you were fighting for the that five minute spot to get you the sitcom on TV. And if hey, fucking Dan got it, then that means I wasn't getting it. So fuck him. I'm better than him. Look at me instead. Like that's not how it has to work anymore. And now we see the power through guys like Rogan and all of that of, of collaboration. And when people come together and truly work together and pump each other up, it makes everybody better because it makes you want to be better. You want to be better than your friends more than you want to be better than your enemy. You know what I mean? Like, like if I'm playing like video games with my friends or something, I want to, I want to fucking beat them because I can be like, ha ha, nanana boo boo, you know, rather than like the, the true, like, fuck you. I'm better than you. Like the nanana boo boo. I'm, I'm having fun right now is way better energy than like the, the vengeful shit that people get caught up in. Do you, is any part of your drive, uh, rooted in like negative thought though? Like, are you totally driven by positivity or is there anything like in you? You're like, yo, I kind of operate from the dark side a little bit. Well, I think no, anytime like you're working and you're like, for me, my income relies on me being good and continuing to be good. So, so you have a survivalist. I, there's definitely that, that survival instinct of like, I have to work hard or this could all go away. Like that, that feeling of this could disappear at any moment. Even when you have that success, like nobody can take away the the festivals that i've won or the fact that i did just for laughs but they could take away the value of that right like all of a sudden that could feel worthless and in six years it probably will oh you did new faces six years ago who cares there's been six classes since so to capitalize on all of those things like yeah you have to i think about failure all the time you know is is like that's daily that's the result that's what drives me that's the true motivation like yeah positivity is great but negativity is what gets me out of bed in the morning like thinking of like what it feels like to be a loser what it feels like to and i mean the positive side of that is 
how, how good it feels to complete something. When I finish a video and I put that last fucking button and click the export button, that's a fucking great feeling. It's kind of like the feeling you get like after a long run or after a long workout or something like that. You're like, you're like, fuck, I did not want to do this. I did not want to get up and fucking go for a run today. But then you're done with that run. You're like, fuck yeah, dude, I fucking did this. Like, and then you feel positive about that because the reason you went for that run in the first place was the negative idea that you didn't want to get, become a fat fuck. <laughs> right drew dunn A.K. tony robbins yeah. jr that's how it feels i don't know hey do you guys have any questions right now for drew we've heard about your successes a lot uh just for laughs and in boston community but have you ever had that one show where the crowd just wasn't vibing with what you were throwing down i think you're talking about like some of your bombs last time yeah, yeah we worse. talked about a couple bombs i mean I'm I'm pretty good now at like adapting to a situation where there, there'll be shows where it's not set up for success. You know what I mean? And you have to constantly like you have to feel out the room and not just because if I just sit there and do my jokes the exact same way every single night, people are going to see that I'm like a clown. They're going to see through that. So like, you should see his heckler videos. Yeah. So I, I have I have some heckler videos They're I put great. up online. There'll be another one coming up on Wednesday. Versus who? Um, who drew done versus who? Uh, main hecklers. Oh. I got two of them back to back. One guy just handed me like a shot of like fireball whiskey while I was on stage. Just didn't say a word and just handed it to me. And then we got, we got into it a little bit after that. Is that considered a heckler? Well, it's, technically, it's any sort of crowd interaction. I mean, right? technically he made me a criminal because you're not allowed to drink alcohol on a performing stage in the state of Maine, wow. which I found out after the fact. But hey, here we are. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, but as far as like, so I'll give you an example. Like I did a fucking, uh, I did a holiday party recently for a, uh, trust me, it gets worse, uh, for a, uh, a nursing home. Oh my God. Uh, not for the people that live in the nursing home, but for like the staff and some of their sponsors and people that give the money and shit. So the people who scoop the doo doo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I did it. I had done this a year ago and I did it again this year. And this year, instead of doing it uh, upstairs, they did it just in the main lobby. Where is this in North Andover? This is, this is, uh, Bedford, New Hampshire, Bedford Falls. Uh, It's a a nice facility. So you got a whole concoction of... Oh yeah, mm, this, is, this is a bad equation going it's on. It's a here. really nice place. Like it's not like a rinky dink place. Like obviously they have enough money in their budget to put on a comedy show. You know what I mean? So, but I show up and it's not like like last year was a show. There was like twenty five people. This year there's seven people sitting in a semicircle in front of a cr- uh, stage the size of like two milk crates just in the lobby of the nursing home. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally standing on the stage and like the chandelier is like right next to my head and I have uh, to go up and do like 40 minutes of material uh, in front of these guys that are just like, half of them had already heard half my jokes year. from the year before. So I'm like trying to like do newer stuff and everything and it was just one of those like, Man, this is not set up for success. And and then oh. every once in a while, were they like, like they were like eating spaghetti when they were watching? Yeah, like, but no, no, there was there was like beer, and I spilled a beer on the middle of the floor, like right uh, when I got there. The guy oh. hands me a beer, and it like missed my hand, and it hit my fingers, and he let go, and it just oh. fell immediately. And I was like, great, this is fucking awesome. Uh, and then uh, I go on stage, I start doing jokes and everything like that, and they're just all like, yeah, this is nice. It feels oh. like like you're putting on your play for your parents. You know what I mean? Like, mom, we did, we're doing a puppet show. Come to the living room and watch. Like that's how it felt. How do you stay engaged when it's just like a small crowd with their legs crossed? So you just start addressing the situation because they know it's weird. They know it's a fucking strange thing. Everyone wants to leave. Yeah, and not to mention during the show, there's just fucking people walking in the front of the nursing home. Like it's open. There's just people coming in with walkers. At one point, an EMT guy came in like wheeling somebody in on a stretcher who had gone back. And the guy like gets up in the middle of the set, goes over. You doing all right? And the guy's like, I'm still alive. (laughs) And then they wheel him to his room. And I'm on stage like, yeah. 
yeah, anyway, my parents are weird. You know, it's like, it's, it's a very strange situation. But, but that's one where you have to like adapt. So I'm like, these jokes aren't working right now. They don't want to hear this. And I just start talking to them and doing crowd work and shitting on what we're doing and the situation. And it's fun. Well, was it easier to, to direct your jokes? Cause you like, you were like totally face to face with your consumer. Well, that, and it was such a crazy situation that I had things to talk about. Like I've been in situations not as crazy as that, but like, where the crowd's super low energy and it's like nine people, but it seats like 80 people and you're just in like a boardroom. So there's like nothing, there's nothing to pull up. Like, ah, oh, this is crazy. We're in a boardroom. That's like, wow, the walls are really plain in here. Like what do you are you feel, supposed to say? Do you feel like a uh, gimmicky in that situation? Like I'm just like a circus clown kind well, of, it kind of pulls the veil off of what comedy is. Cause there is a level of mystery uh, and showmanship to comedy where like it's, it's meant to be, oh, he's that, that illusion of like, oh, he's just coming up with this stuff or, oh, he's just reciting this for us tonight, even though it's not that. Um, so once you're, you kind of break down what a show is, whether there's a shitty mic or there's no light or the seating situation. Well, that's what happened at Laugh, bro. Remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, hey, this cardboard cutout behind us when I'd seen your set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what it is. And I mean, and laugh is great when it's full. And they used to not like when it was half full like that, they used to not put this backdrop in. Um, and it was like, it was like that. It was like 20 people in a room that seats 300. And it was, it just felt like, okay, how the fuck does it? Cause even if you're doing well, let's say you get all 20 of those people to laugh, you're going to feel like, oh, this doesn't feel good. This yeah. still feels really weird. So how, how do you like combat that in the moment? It's strange. It's, and it's hard to like, for me to like recollect. Cause it's so like in the moment, you just kind of have to be firing on all cylinders. Parker, any questions? Uh, yeah, I got a question. When you like are in your, in your room writing jokes and stuff. Yeah. Does it does it hit you that it's funny like right then and there, or do you have to kind of sit on it or like tell it up live at a show in order to? to I mean, I won't tell it at a show if I if I didn't think it was funny initially, and usually I don't think of the joke idea itself when I'm just sitting in my room like jotting stuff. That's usually when I expand on whatever idea, like whatever joke comes to me. It usually comes to me just while I'm out living life or doing something crazy, or if I'm like just in my thoughts, like in the shower or driving a lot of the times, I'll just kind of get that, like that one sentence that, that makes it a joke. Um, like I, I, I'll tell you the last thing I wrote down was, uh, yeah, please. like the, this'll, this'll like maybe start a new joke. Maybe not. What's that? The iPad mini. This is the, uh, <laughs> uh, note eight. Note eight. Um, the iPad mini. Yeah. So like Seems. the idea is, uh, most people like we pretend to be like these like really nice and civil people nowadays. But I think most people would still go to a public execution. Like I think they would still go. I would. D yeah. You would? Yeah, you would watch someone publicly killed? Yeah. Like if there was still a public hanging once a week, there would still be a crowd every single week to watch that dude get hanged. I think it would change if it was a hanging versus a guillotine though. Don't you think Either way, I think we'd have to mix it up or people wouldn't keep coming back. Like, ah, they're just hanging him again. Like can we draw and quarter him or something cool? Oh, uh, exactly. Stone. Yeah. Or yeah, could we like put weights around his ankles, toss him in the bog? Yeah, he's yeah. A bad guy. How about how about the Salem witch trials? Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that is the most insane shit ever. It's literally crazy. It's just a bunch of people like, yeah, she's a witch because I say she is. Fucking kill her. It was literally like, <laughs> bro. It was literally like, oh wait, we think you're a witch. So know what we're gonna do? We're gonna put thousand pound weights in your ankles and toss you in the bog. And if you come up, you're a witch, and we're gonna kill you. But if you don't come up, you weren't a witch, and you're dead anyway. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, and most people are like, "That's fucking foolproof." <laughs> that's that's great idea. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, I mean, that's, so that might become a joke or that might become a piece of another joke that I'm already working on. You know what I mean? But I'll take that and then that's what I'll sit down with and write out. Or like, I'll probably talk about that on stage tonight at Capo and then I'll sit down and I'll listen to that recording and I'll take notes on it. And then that's kind of what gets the brain moving in that direction where if I just sit down and go, all right, time to write some jokes. And like, nothing, I have nothing, I have, I have nothing like fueling me. There's no energy. So, uh, if, if that's what I'm trying to do is like write bits, a lot of times what I'll do, and this was what like leads to some of the videos I make now that whole, like what's up series that I'm doing is I'll just go online and start like looking at articles or just random ass things, turn on my camera, turn on my mic and just start riffing about it and talking shit. And sometimes it leads to ideas. Other times it's just me just talking shit about fucking, you know, pigeons or some shit. And then, um, that'll either turn into a bit or at the very least it turns into like a little video I can edit and clip out. So I write pretty much every morning. Yeah. Usually. And I don't write jokes, but real productions, but how do you navigate that in being disciplined about like writing every day and making progress on something and also vetting your ideas because it's tough because it's like, yeah, you, your best ideas do come from like going around and loafing around and understanding, but how do you have a structure? Like, all right, I got to get this done. I got to get this done to progress something. Um, that's a good thing about doing shows. So forcing myself to do shows as often as I can is it's almost like I have a presentation tonight and I got no, I got no PowerPoint. You know what I mean? Like I gotta, I gotta make the PowerPoint. I gotta fucking put something together. So I have something for tonight. Um, so, and, and sometimes I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's days I work, I wake up with the show that night and I go, I'm not gonna, I, I don't feel like fucking writing or just I, nothing's flowing. I can't get it going. Um, so I just, um, I'll just, I just won't write that day and I'll just go on stage and I'll be loose in my material. I might try a new tag that I hadn't tried or do my jokes in a different order and try and get things moving that way. Answer your question, B. Cool. So, okay, 2020 is coming up. What, Bark, well, real quick, Auntie, what time is it? Because he has a show coming up. What do we got for time? We got 7.57 right now. Yeah. We're chilling. We're chilling? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, have, So, let's say, like, in the next year, in terms of, like, you moving in the industry, like, really starts moving, which I'm kind of... Assuming it will, bro. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I feel like I'm doing all the right things. Like you laid the bricks down, right? What would be like, what would you want to happen in the next year? Yeah. So, I mean, next year I'm going to be, I'll be pitching a show to sell to networks. I will be doing that. It's the show's finished. You got the, it's not, it's, I have, I have everything loosely done and now I just got to go through, fine tune it, get it reviewed, shit like that. Animation or like a show show? Animation, yeah. I have a show show too, but that one's a little less developed, so um that one i kind of kind of fish around with but this is the first show and i think this will kind of get the juices flowing for me as far as what that process is and going and doing a pitch meeting how is that environment um it's and the go worst. from there yeah it's not it's not i i know buddies who do it but to really experience it firsthand is is different and i think with with how i am it won't be as intimidating because i've done the business side of things i went to school for it I, i've worked in the, that world for a while and now to do be on the comedy side of things. So to have to kind of bring those two worlds together, I'm not super. Intimidated no, no, you shouldn't be intimidated at all. But mind you, I've, I pitched a bunch of projects to people. Yeah. It's just like you, you a lot of times you go in, into the meeting, you're like, all right, this is exact. I know my shit's fire. Yeah. But we do not know if we're going to click on the same level in terms of what you guys like. Right. Right. And so adapting the meetings tough. That's For just sure. my experience. I mean, we'll, I'll get better at it as time goes on. Definitely. But, 
I also think too, is like, you don't necessarily want to have to adapt your idea. You want to pitch it the way that you want to do it and find somebody who thinks that same way as you and connect. And if they don't, that's that's where patience comes into play though for sure and i mean luckily i'm in a position now where i'm not just it's not an all or nothing like oh if this network doesn't get it i have no chance like i'll be able to go again i've gone and and had general meetings with all these networks so i've at least put in some face time with like comedy central and true tv and all these guys to be able to have like a personal relationship with with some of the people that i'll be dealing with hopefully over the next you know most of my career so you want to you want to book your show this year is your thing uh yeah i want to i want to do the pitch i'd like to sell a show um at least start that process and i want to get on tv myself i want to have a tv credit by the end of 2020 i'm gonna be honest dude like i actually think it's totally gonna happen yeah no i i think it will too yeah that's my that's again trying to talk it into reality like that's what i've been saying from the get from the get cosmos make it happen cosmos make it happen but like by the time i was 28 that's why i was told i need to be on tv that when I turned 28 and 28 it's kind of it's a weird thing it's going to sound like really hippy dippy but 28's always been one of those numbers that's just kind of like followed me around my whole life like anytime I was on a sports team and they just give you the jersey and you don't get to pick your number it was like 28 it was like 28 like three out of the four times that happened it's just kind of one of those weird things so I'm like all right I think something's happening this year that's no, weird for me it's like six I've always seen the number six maybe you missed your shot <laughs> it should have been on all Fuck. that bro <laughs> should have been one of those youtube kids opening up toys you could have yeah, been that huge. kid's making bank bro making bank. that's crazy i told you i was feeling i was feeling those adhd tests back when i was six yeah true true whoa <laughs> they drugged me up when i was six whoa so um okay so let's let's provide a little hashtag value so anyone wants to get into boston comedy yeah right Give give them a, a quick couple little steps. Where should they go to start? How should they start? How long are they going to blow it for? This is like the most general value we could. Provide. Yeah. So I think uh, if you're trying to start comedy, uh, don't talk about it. Just go fucking do it. That's the beautiful thing about comedy is it's free to start, and you can just do it by signing up your name on a piece of paper, and then you show up and do the show. Uh, first time getting on stage is the scariest time. You're going to be terrified. You're going to be shitting your pants. Fight through that. Get on stage anyway. Have as much fun as you can. Be ready. Like prepare. Write things down. Recite it. Recite it. Recite it. Recite it. Go tell it on stage. Record it. Listen to it. As painstaking as that is, and and repeat that process until you're great. What is one fear you have right now? Uh, other than the fear of not making it, and or the fact that this is a dream and none of it's actually real. Oh, you think I, you think <laughs> we're in the simulation? I might be in a daydream at my fucking day job from five years ago. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm someone's about to slap me across so the face like and tell me to go get him coffee. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, I mean the biggest fear is that uh, uh, something stop. A real true fear is that all of a sudden something happens to me health wise that stops me from being able to perform. That's like, my biggest fear too. If all of a sudden something happened to my my throat or my vocal cords and I couldn't do voices anymore, like that would be one of my biggest tools snatched away from me. Or like a true ailment where like I'm put in the hospital or some shit like that, or that that would like kind of you know yank the the brakes on on the operation, but. Um, yeah, I mean, really stopping momentum is, is kind of a fear I have right now. Right now, I just want to fucking keep the pedal to the floor and fly and see where I end up. Yeah, I feel you. Like, not to be totally soft, but, like, one of my recent biggest fears is, like, I feel like I've worked so hard for so long, and then one day it's just 
everyone's going to reverse all the work you put in. That's like yeah. the scariest shit to me. Yeah. Or someone's just going to come and steal it, you know, or you go, you go pitch a show or a project and then you see that project be made without your name on it. That shit know, happened to me later. recently. It happens all the time, man. It's nuts. I'll tell you guys after that shit is wild. Yeah. Crazy talk. That's nuts. Okay. So one, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me, dude. Two. Do you remember how we started in these things? Um, fucking. I'm going to go with no. You probably don't. I forget. It's all good. You're a great guy. Okay, listen. You say hi. I'm Drew. And this is my gold now. That's right. That's and then right. That, well, you're actually going to say platinum this time because it's your second. Okay. Hi, I'm Drew Dunn. Oh, wait. Actually, you want to plug like where they can find you and what shows you got coming up? Yeah. Yo, I actually, I'll plug you and I'll you can cut this up too if you want. I know you do a little content. Actually, I'll have the editor cut this up. Sammy Spielberg or Sarah Slugs, please cut this up. Drew's shows are like I was never into stand up. I like never really liked stand up comedy. I liked improv. I liked sketch comedy. Like I love Chappelle's show. But I was dying at his set. Real deal. Like I've seen his set now twice and I watch all his YouTube videos. This dude, it's like really general, um, really good entertainment. Go see one of his shows. You guys will really enjoy it. Thanks, dude. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all my dates are drewdunncomedy.com. Um, at Drew Comedy on all social medias. I usually post weekly where I'm going to be that week, uh, especially locally. Um, if you What's the come, next big one? Come see me headline. I'll be headlining Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston on January 17th and 18th. Uh, and then I will be, I'll be in Detroit in, in February. I'll be in, I'm all over the place, man. I'm in at Laugh Boston again in the beginning of March. So yeah, check out the website, DrewDunnComedy.com. You can check all my shit. And uh, let me just say too, if you're somebody from the future, who's going through these podcasts looking for me to say something shitty to get me in trouble to make me lose a job. Fuck you. Get a real job. It scares me too. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> get a real job. You fucking blogger. Get off social media and, and stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Okay. You didn't find anything. Okay. You want me to say that? You want me to say a word? No. Fuck you. We <laughs> never said any, we, ne- <laughs> we did no profanity. That scares me sometimes with my internet trail. Like, dude, I probably did some dumb shit. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time for me, it's like, uh, I mean, t- the whole like Shane Gillis SNL thing. It's like, man, are we really, is that what we're going to have to do? I don't, gonna- I'm unfamiliar with oh, what so that. The, is. So this dude who did New Faces got, got Saturday Night Live as a key performer. So he's, he's like, fire. He's career changing. They go fishing through every single podcast he's ever done. What did he say? He said like lesbian he, or something. No, he said, uh, I'm not going to say the word. It almost tricked me. Uh, <laughs> he said the CH word when referring to a group of uh, an, an Asian folk. Ends in oh yeah 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 uh, <laughs> I mean I can't uh, and base I mean he was doing it as a character so it's like there's no level of like nuance or anything like that it's but comedy, though, but right? but either way I mean you can be offended by it he he shouldn't have said the word whatever uh, to try and end somebody's career off of something that they said years and years ago and, and Kevin Hart too and not but not saying it's serious at least Kevin Hart was big enough that he was able to to come above it um but i mean dude it's so crazy to me so if you're out there doing that if that's what you're doing in this podcast i fucking hate you you're a piece of shit and i know you can probably plug this in to put in whatever group you want and have me say that after but fuck (laughs) you all right if this is a deep fake in the future get the fuck out of here all right you do not have consent Ah. to use any of my intellectual property without me okay there we go my brain covered ourselves (laughs) (laughs) thank you my name's drew dunn that was my platinum hour